Right, we uh, should finish Axe tonight. Um, we uh, finished on chapter 17 uh, last time. And um, just, just to remind you where we are, we're, we're on Paul's second missionary journey. Um, and the, the date is, is around the early 50s AD. And uh, we, we left him last time <clears throat> in Athens, um, and he, he went there on his own. He'd left Timothy and Silas um, in, in Berea. So, so now we move on to chapter 18, okay? <clears throat> and um, at this point, he, he moves from Athens, obviously Athens in Greece, um, and he moves west, and now he goes to Corinth, and Corinth was about uh, 50 miles away, so not, not too far. And uh, when he gets to Corinth, he, he meets up with um, a Jew who was called Aquila and his wife, Priscilla, so Aquila and Priscilla, and obviously they were believers. And um, what he does is is he stays with them a while. Doesn't doesn't seem it was too long, but he kind of stays at their place. And uh, they were tent makers, and Paul was a tent maker by trade as well. And so what he does while he's there with Priscilla and Aquila is that he kind of he works with them, you know, kind of works in their like family firm, as it were. And uh, during that time, um, he, he evangelizes both amongst the Jews and the Greeks in Corinth. Corinth, although a Greek city, had a, a, a large contingent of, uh, of Jews there. And um, after a while, Silas and Timothy, who he'd left in Berea, they, they join him there, but not for too long. And then they move off, and we don't know where they move off to. And uh, it would appear that they don't rejoin Paul for the rest of the journey. So uh, Silas and Timothy don't feature again um, at this point in, uh, in, in, in Paul's travels. And uh, af after a short while, he goes kind of full time again in evangelism. So then he, he stops doing the tent making and um, he, he devotes his whole time to a uh, to preaching, um, you know, and to telling everyone about the Lord, and uh, but soon after he does that, the, the the Jews in Corinth get a bit abusive and um, very rejecting of uh, what he was saying, and so Paul tells them that from that point onwards he was just going to go to the Gentiles. So really, what he does is he says to the Jewish community in Corinth, he says, right, okay, look, you know, all you're doing is going against what I'm saying. Forget it. I'm just going to concentrate on the Gentiles. And so from that point onwards, he just witnesses amongst the Gentiles in Corinth. And so he, he, he leaves the synagogue, because up till now he'd have been going into the synagogue to, to preach. And um, he leaves the synagogue and uh, he moves in with um, another believer who was called Titius Justus. And Titius Justus lived right next door to the synagogue. So although Paul wasn't actually doing any more preaching in the synagogue, he moved just next door just so they didn't actually forget him, as it were. And uh, also, one of the, the synagogue rulers, a guy called Crispus, uh, becomes... Um, a believer as well and, and his whole household and um, and Luke tells us that that at this point a lot of 
people in Corinth start to become believers. And then one night the Lord speaks to Paul in a vision and uh, encourages him to stay there and not to be silent. So the Lord appears to Paul one night and says, look, don't, don't give up, keep going, speak out. And uh, he actually stayed there for a further one and a half years. So that, that, that's why I say he probably wasn't staying with Priscilla and Aquila doing tent making for too long. Uh, but at this point, we now know that he stays for a further one and a half years evangelizing amongst the Corinthians. <clears throat> and anyway, after, after a while, the Jews get the hump again in Corinth and they, they rise up against him. And what they do is they, they go to the Roman proconsul even though obviously Corinth it was Greek but Roman Empire and all that so every major city had a Roman who ruled it like the old proconsul and uh, so the Jews they they go to the Roman proconsul and uh, they they accuse Paul of various things but uh, wisely the the proconsul refuses to to get involved and um, increasingly kind of getting angry against him um, the Jews get a mob together and um, one of the other guys who was one of the leaders in the synagogue was a bloke called Sosthenes and there, there's so much anger that the mob turn on Sosthenes in the synagogue and they beat him up. Um, now we might have a clue as to why they did that maybe because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when Paul actually writes the letter to the Corinthians, which obviously he did some years, some time after this, he refers in his letter to the Corinthians to a believer called Sosthenes. So it's very possible that it's this Sosthenes who's mentioned here, and that the mob, they, they, they get angry. They're angry against Paul, but they can't get their hands on Paul. So possibly because this Sosthenes is a Christian as well, they beat him up instead. Which, which goes to show it pays to choose your friends carefully, doesn't it? Because a lot of Paul's friends got beaten up just because they were Paul's friends. So that, that, that certainly shows who your true friends are, doesn't it? Anyway, eventually Paul leaves Corinth and um, he sets sail on the journey back to Antioch in Syria. And remember, Antioch in Syria had become Paul's base church. We saw, didn't we, that the Jerusalem church became the base church for evangelism amongst the Jews, and it was Antioch, the Antioch church where Paul was based, that became virtually the base church for evangelism amongst the Gentiles. So now Paul sets off on his journey back to Antioch. And, uh, but, but, but strangely, at this point, he shaves all his hair off because of a vow. That's all Luke tells us. Um, so, so I wonder whether, for some strange reason known only to Paul, he took like a temporary, you know, that vow of, of some sort. Don't, don't really know quite what it is. Luke doesn't tell us. Um, so, as Paul sets off to go back to Antioch, Priscilla and Aquila accompany him as far as Ephesus. So, Paul he, he works his way back through the places um, he he gone through previously, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They, they travel with him initially, but they, they stop off at Ephesus. Paul moved on from there, they stay there. Remember, Ephesus was in, in Turkey. And, um, but when Paul left them there, he promised that he'd come back to them um, in Ephesus if, if it was God's will. And, and he said, I'll come back 
if I can. And then from there he sailed to Caesarea, and then he went straight to the Jerusalem church, and he spent a bit of time there, and then he went back to Antioch up north in Syria, and uh, his own home church. And uh, so, so that ends Paul's second missionary journey, and so that leaves us now at around AD 53. Okay, so um, we're, we're sort of like a good, good way, obviously, into, into the book now. And uh, immediately, still in chapter 18, Luke kind of moves straight on to the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. Um, so a, a year passes, just, just like that in a sentence, a year passes. And uh, what, what Paul does now for this third journey around, um, you know, sort of like the Mediterranean, is that he, he goes out through Turkey and uh, he, he, he goes through Galatia and Phrygia. So basically he takes the same route as he'd taken in his second missionary journey. So he travels all the way around again, basically strengthening all the churches as he goes. Now Luke kind of pauses there, and now he goes back to Priscilla and Aquila. You'll remember that when Paul was on his way home from his second missionary journey, he left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. So now Luke tells us a bit about what they were up to in Ephesus. And, um, and Luke tells us how they met up with um, a Jew from Alexandria. So this would be one of like the Greek Jews. And he was a guy called Apollos. And uh, he, he was a believer, and, and, and he was certainly being recognized as a, a powerful preacher of the gospel. And the Lord was, was kind of really, um, you know, using him. But he only knew the baptism of John. That's what Luke tells us. He only knew the baptism of John. So he's a believer, but he'd only got half the gospel himself and that. So what happens is, that uh, Priscilla and Aquila kind of, they give him like a crash course and they teach him all, all the things about Christianity that he hadn't known yet. And um, ha having done that, they, they send him on his way and, you know, the Bible says that he goes off to, to uh, Archaea and uh, that, that's the region where Corinth was. And, uh, and, and he gets there and the church welcomes him. And uh, certainly Apollos, you know, sort of like it, it's clear from the rest of the Bible that he was, you know, very influential and, uh, you know, sort of played a, a real part in, in the spreading of the gospel. So, so that's what Aquila and Priscilla were kind of up to while they were in Ephesus. Now that brings us on to chapter 19. And, um, and now Luke takes us back to Paul on his third missionary journey. Okay. And um, so in chapter 19, now Paul arrives at Ephesus back on his third missionary journey, okay? So we've heard about what Priscilla and Aquila were up to. Now Paul does get back to Ephesus again. And uh, I'll just, just actually read um, the first seven verses here. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? 
John's baptism, they replied. Oh, this would be John the Baptist. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They were about twelve men in all. And so it's clear that, that there were people who were genuinely saved, they believed on Jesus, and they were Christians, but they'd only heard like bits and pieces. They hadn't heard what you might call the whole gospel. It's possible that these guys were actually converts through Apollos, who himself didn't know the whole gospel. I mean, he knew enough that Jesus was alive and that, you know, Jesus was Messiah and that if you believed in Jesus, you'd be saved. But he didn't know things about baptising in the name of Jesus or being baptised with the Holy Spirit. So here, Paul meets some people in that position and, and, and he tells them, you know, about being baptised in the name of Jesus. So they are immediately, and, and he lays hands on them and they're baptised with the Holy Spirit as well. And uh, for the following three months, Paul goes to the Ephesian synagogue and he's preaching the gospel there. But, par for the course, the Jews rise up, rumours against him, persecute him, try and get him thrown out. And um, it's interesting, Luke, Luke here refers to being a Christian as following the way. And he says that, you know, that the Jews you know, sort of like cause trouble against the way. And uh, that was one of the ways that the early church referred to following the Lord. They called Christianity the way. That's quite, quite interesting. And uh, so after the Jews, you know, like causing trouble for Paul, again, as, as he always did, he, he left the synagogue and said, right, okay, that's it. I'm just going to go to the Gentiles now. And uh, so what he did instead is that he started preaching in a Gentile lecture hall in another part of the city. And uh, he stayed there for two years um, doing evangelism amongst the Ephesians. And, um, and Luke actually tells us that, that all the Jews and Greeks in that province heard the gospel. So, you know, it certainly looks like, you know, that, that sort of in that two-year period, word got round and people travelled from all, all in and, and, until virtually everyone had actually heard the gospel. It doesn't say that everyone got saved, but, but everyone in that region actually heard the gospel through Paul. And, um, and Luke tells us as well that at that time, and this is probably one of the reasons why people came from so far and wide, is that the, the, the Lord was, was doing what Luke called extraordinary miracles through Paul. Um, you know, like, like the, the, the sick were being healed and, and demons were being cast out. But even, even if, if, if people got hold of handkerchiefs that Paul had had, they just touched the handkerchiefs, they were being healed, or you know, if they got hold of an apron that Paul had been wearing, I mean, that, that's all it took, and they were healed. And of course, it's sort of reminds us of uh, earlier on in Acts, in the early days in the Jerusalem church, the Bible says that Paul, you know, that God was working extraordinary signs through Peter. Remember, if Peter's shadow touched people, they were healed. And, and so there was a, a very kind of, you know, sort of like singular outpouring of the Holy Spirit in uh, Ephesus at that time. And I want to actually read from uh, verse, verse 17. Now, when this became known to the Jews, and the Greeks living in Ephesus. 
they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came openly and confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which was a lot of money. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Archaea. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So what happens here is that in the Ephesian city, that loads and loads of people now who have been involved in the occult, they become converted and they kind of bring all their occult literature and spell books and all that and they, they, they kind of destroy them. And uh, also Luke tells us of um, a, a sort of um, it's a half whimsical thing that had happened and, and there were some Jewish exorcists in um, Ephesus at the time and uh, they were seven brothers and they you know they were the sons of a a guy called Skeva, and uh, and they, they they fancied themselves with the old casting out of demons, and they'd been seeing Paul cast demons out and stuff like that, and they thought, yeah, we'll 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 kind of have a crack at this, and uh, they they come across a a, a, a particularly demonised demoniac, and uh, they decide to um cast the demons out of this guy, but what they did is that they they came against the demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they, 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 they came to this guy and they said, look, you demons, we cast you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, the response, they were trying, because it worked for Paul, so they thought, well, it worked for Paul, it'll work for me. Now, of course, they were using it as a kind of an incantation. And uh, what happened was, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And uh, it, it was at that point that loads of people start to repent of their occultism. Because of course the point is that whereas demons will come out in the name of Jesus, it, it's, it's not using the name as a spell, it's because a believer has the authority of Jesus to cast evil spirits out. And here are some guys who are saying, oh, well, we're going to cast demons out in the name of Jesus whom Paul is preaching. And well, they got beaten up by the guy who was demonised. And so they learnt their lesson well and, and truly. And uh, then what happened was uh, there was a, a, a silversmith called Demetrius. And uh, he, he started to stir up trouble against Paul now. And because um, what, what he did, he made idols. That was his job. He was a craftsman. And um, in Ephesus, there was uh, the Temple of Artemis, or the Greeks called her Artemis, uh, the Romans called her Diana. All right. and, uh, and this guy, Demetrius, made all the idols to this god, and people bought them, and that's how he made his money. Well, because of, um, you know, sort of so many people getting converted, I mean, you know, like the, the, the idol selling business was, was kind of going down in, the, in Ephesus and, 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 and so Demetrius was, was a bit 
cross about that, and so he stirred up trouble. And uh, two of Paul's companions, two guys called Gaius and Aristarchus, and here two guys working with Paul, they got seized by the mob and they got beaten up. I mean, again, you've got to choose your friends very carefully. And if you were a friend of Paul, you were in trouble. In, in, uh, you, you really were. But eventually, the, the clerk of the city you know, intervened and, and eventually calmed it down. But again, there was a riot. And uh, you often find that when, when there were particular um, outpourings of the Holy Spirit, you, you always find in the Acts that there was particular backlash and a particular persecution and trouble that, uh, that followed. Anyway, we saw as well that Paul has decided now that he's going to head on back to Jerusalem. Um, so now we come into chapter 20, and, and now Paul leaves Ephesus, right? So he's a, you know, sort of spent a fair bit of time there. And um, he, he leaves and he, he travels now to Macedonia, which, which is northern Greece. And uh, he travels through there, and then he goes down to Archaea. Um, he's in Archaea for three months, and he goes back through northern Greece again. And uh, in, in, in that short trip, all right, he would have revisited Corinth, Athens, Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi. So in that three months, he was kind of like traveling and revisiting all those churches. Now, at this point, he's joined by Luke again because the narrative written by Luke goes back to we, all right? So Luke is now back with, with Paul. And um, they're, they're joined by various others as well. I'll, uh, I'll name them. Sopator, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus. What a, what a team. And uh, anyway, these all join Paul and Luke. And uh, they, they went ahead and um, Paul and Luke stayed in Troas um, for, for five days, and the other guys went, went off ahead. And, um, and what happened was that on the, um, on the Sunday at, at, at Troas, Troas, Paul uh, was, was teaching, you know, sort of like amongst the, in the church, and uh, he was teaching through till midnight. Um, and there was a young guy there called Eutychus, and uh, he, he fell out the window while Paul was teaching. I suppose he was tired, he fell asleep. And he fell out the window and he died when he landed. And, um, but Paul raised him from the dead. And having raised him from the dead, carried on the teaching and, and he taught until dawn. And uh, that, that's a gobsmacking kind of like Bible study, isn't it? You know, till midnight and someone dies. So they get raised from the dead and then Paul carries on till dawn. It's a bit unimaginable really, isn't it? Anyway, that, that's what happened at Troas. Um, then they um, travelled to Miletus, which was 200 miles south. And while he was there, he's now 50 miles from Ephesus. So he's done a bit of a circle and he's not too far from Ephesus. And so what he does now is he sends for all the elders of the Ephesian church, all right, to, to, to come. And remember, these would have been the elders, like from the Ephesian churches, because the church would have been broken down into those and those little house churches, just like we are. So what Paul does, he sends this, I want all the elders from all the churches in Ephesus and uh, come and gather so, so I can, um, you know, kind of like have a, have a chat with them. And I'll actually read, read the chat that, that he has. And... Um, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. 
When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. So Paul's saying, you won't see me again, I won't be coming this way again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Um, and there you've got kind of like the three words for, you know, like they're the elders. And Paul says, you know, sort of like, um, you know, sort of keep watch over yourselves and the flock of who your overseers. Be shepherds. And you've got, you know, like the three words there in the Greek, you know, you, you've got elder, you've got pastor, shepherd, or you've got bishop or overseer. They're all, all words for the same, the same function. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. Paul says, some of you standing here now, even some of you, will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. These are men who want a kingdom build. They just want people following them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did I showed you but by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So there's Paul's like, you know, farewell words to the leaders of the, the church there. And uh, that, that, that there where it says the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive, those words aren't recorded in the Gospels. So they're an example of a teaching of Jesus, but it only appears in the Acts of the Apostles, not actually in the Gospel itself. And, um, you know, we, we see there Paul warning them the dangers of false teaching and the people who were going to end up in leadership 
just just to get money or to get people following them and uh, you know Paul, Paul warns them to to be on their guard right okay chapter 21 and uh, Paul sails off to Kos first then Rhodes then he sails south around Cyprus to, to Tyre and up the Syrian coast and uh, he stays with the uh, the, um, the the church there for a week and um, they know that Paul is going to be facing all these hardships and they you know they, they urge him not to go to Jerusalem they say stay here with you know stay here Paul we'll, we'll keep you safe but of course Paul knew that he had to to press on and uh, so he sailed south down to Ptolemy and uh, then to Caesarea and uh, when he got to Caesarea he stayed with Philip the Evangelist now do you remember we saw Philip earlier on he was one of the seven deacons and uh, you, you remember we saw him when he was evangelizing in Samaria and he was the one who led the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord so uh, Paul stayed with Philip and um, and then Luke, Luke tells us that that Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied so um, oh for four unmarried daughters who prophesied in this church hey eh? so top heavy with single blokes um, it's going to read from verse 10 after we have been there a number of days so Luke is still with Paul all right so after we have been with Philip um, a number of days a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea now remember Agabus he prophesied the famine earlier on in the book of Acts coming over to us he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles when we heard this we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem then Paul answered why are you weeping and breaking my heart I am ready not only to be bound but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus when he would not be dissuaded we gave up and said the Lord's will be done after this we got ready and went up to Jerusalem some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason where we were to stay he was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples right okay well so we now come to the end of the third missionary journey Paul now just goes straight to Jerusalem and uh, we're on AD 58 right and uh, having arrived in Jerusalem uh, Paul reports to James and to the elders of the church there and um, you know he, he kind of reports how well it's going amongst the Gentiles that loads and loads of Gentiles are still becoming Christians and um, you know the whole of the Jerusalem church rejoiced with him they were they were glad about that um, but but as always with the Jerusalem church the the, the error of, of the kind of like the circumcision party wanting to stay under the law it kind of like raises its head again and uh, there, there are again lots of objections like the Gentiles ought to have to become Jews in order to become Christians and um, and what happens now is that that, that, that James and, 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 and the Christians in the Jerusalem church they they kind of you know they they get Paul to, to, to do a kind of 
a purification rite. You know, this was, you know, one of the, you know, like the Jewish teachings. And he, he does a purification thing for seven days. And, um, you know, and the reason is to, to appease the Jews in Jerusalem who are objecting to Paul's work amongst the Gentiles. Um, now, that was a big mistake, because, I mean, obviously, we read in the book of James, you know, the letter of James and, you know, the book of the Hebrews, that, you know, I mean, that there wasn't to be any pandering to the Old Testament law. And, you know, every now and then Paul made this mistake as well. But it, it didn't even work. And this is the thing, when you compromise in this way, just to appease people in the wrong sense, it doesn't work. Because even though Paul had done this big appeasement, seven days purification rituals, the Jews still stirred up trouble against him and start a riot. So it didn't work anyway. So the early church saying, look, Paul, you know, because of all the work you're doing amongst the Gentiles, just appease the Jews here a little bit, it'll help. So he does it, and it doesn't help. There's still a riot against him. And, uh, you know, and, and, and this riot erupts in the temple. And uh, the mob grabs Paul, and they, they try to kill him. And, I mean, one of the things they accuse him of is taking Gentiles into the temple area. Now, that would have been against the law. But Paul hadn't even done it. I mean, it was just crazy, just false accusations against him. And what happens is the commander of the Roman troops in Jerusalem intervenes, go, goes in there with a battalion of soldiers, and arrests Paul and puts him in chains. But obviously, this commander has got to quell this, this riot that's going on in the synagogue. And um, so now we move into chapter 22, and, and Paul, you know, he's there in chains, just been rescued from the mob. And, uh, but Paul gets permission from the uh, commander of the troops to address the crowd. And he calms the crowd down and he gives his testimony, um, you know, sort of like how he became a Christian, the, the whole caboodle, and, uh, you know, goes right through to how God had led him to, you know, to go to the Gentiles because the Jews were rejecting to God, you know, sort of rejecting what God was doing. But of course, that was a total red rag to a bull. The riot starts up again, and, and the soldiers escape through the mob with Paul to get him to, to safety. And uh, the commander of, of, of the troops goes to have Paul flogged, which would have been standard procedure. But Paul was a Roman citizen, remember. So Paul declares that, and of course you couldn't flog um, you know, a Roman citizen. You know, there had to be a trial first. And uh, so the commander releases him from... from his chains um, and convenes a meeting of the Sanhedrin for Paul to stand before. So the command says, right, I'm not going to flog you. Your people have got something against you. Let's arrange for you to go before the Sanhedrin by the Jewish, you know, sort of like, you know, the, those who ruled amongst the Jews and uh, stand before them and, uh, and, and, and see what they want to do in regards to it. So then we, we come into chapter 23. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And this is the meeting that happens with the Sanhedrin. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, now remember this is the leadership body of the Jews in Jerusalem. My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience this day. At this, the high priest, Ananias, do you remember Ananias? He was the one who had Jesus beaten. Um, ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Well, it's a good few years later, so Ananias would have been you know, fairly old by now. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. 
you sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Ouch! That must have hurt Ananias. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest. Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realise that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the rule of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Now, remember, we've seen this before. The Pharisees, they were supernaturalists. They believed in the Old Testament quite literally. So they believed in angels, they believed in life after death, they believed in miracles, blah, blah, blah. The Sadducees didn't. They were rationalists. They were more like, you know, all these Anglican bishops you get today who don't believe in the Bible literally. They didn't believe in angels and they didn't believe in an afterlife. So the way to remember it is the Pharisees believed in life after death. So that's how far I see. The Sadducees didn't believe in life after death, so they were sad, you see. Right, that's, that's the way to remember it. So you've got these two groups of people on the Sanhedrin, okay? And what Paul does now is he's saying, I'm on trial because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Well, he was. He was on trial because he believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But the way he phrased it, all right, it's so clever. In verse 7, when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there's no resurrection, there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So what's happened at the Sanhedrin is here they are wanting to, to try Saul and have him dealt with, and, 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 sorry, Paul, and Paul says, well, I'm here because I believe that people raised from the dead. Now, that just set off the Pharisees and the Sadducees arguing amongst themselves. And it got so violent, the Sanhedrin ended up fighting each other. It, it got to fisticuffs. And the commander, you know, the Roman commander who's standing there, obviously, you know, seeing how it all goes, realise, well, crumbs, there's a riot here. I've got to get Paul out of here now. And so he gets the, you know, gets Paul out of the Sanhedrin meeting because now they're all beating each other up. And eventually they'd have turned on Paul, realising that, you know, it's absolutely unbelievable. You know, and these were people who were supposedly putting Paul on trial for going against the Jewish law. And here they all are having fisticuffs with each other in the Sanhedrin because they disagreed on the doctrine of people being raised from the dead. So it's absolutely amazing. So what happens is the next morning, I mean Paul is still in the care of you know the Roman commander, and uh, but the next morning, um, the Sanhedrin planned to have Paul assassinated. 
And what they do is they gather together 40 people who take a vow that they won't eat and drink until Paul's dead. Now, I mean, this is overkill. The Sanhedrin now decide to have Paul murdered. And they get 40 hit men. That's how determined they are. They get 40 assassins. And all of them take an oath saying we won't eat or drink until Paul is dead. And um, what they decided to do is obviously Paul would have to go back to another Sanhedrin meeting because the previous one had broken down in such chaos. And so what they planned to do is that Paul would be killed, I mean presumably by 40 people at the same time, on his way to that meeting and that was the, the, the plan. However, what happened was that, that Paul's sister's son, so Paul's nephew, all right, heard about this and um, Paul's in the barracks with the commander and so Paul's nephew who heard about this plot went to tell Paul and then told the commander. So what happens then is that the commander, he, he transfers Paul to Caesarea. The commander thinks, I've got to get Paul out of here. I mean, if they've got 40 assassins. And remember, if Paul had been assassinated whilst under the commander's care, the command would have been put to death because that you, he'd lost a prisoner. And if a Roman soldier lost a prisoner, it was a capital offence. So the commander knows that he's got to get Paul out of Jerusalem. And what he does, he gets a whole battalion of several hundred soldiers with Paul in the middle of them and marches out of Jerusalem with Paul in the middle of these couple of hundred soldiers and they, they go up to Caesarea and um, you know Caesarea was kind of like Rome's headquarters like for the Samaria and the Judea region and, um, and he takes Paul to stand before Governor Felix. Now Governor Felix was the bloke who had taken over from Pontius Pilate. Right. And uh, so, so Paul is sent to appear before Felix with a letter of explanation from this commander about what's, what's been going on. And um, so, so what happens is that Felix then holds Paul under guard um, in the palace. And uh, what, it's actually Herod's palace. They commandeered Herod's palace. And um, so the, you know, Felix is living in, you know, in Herod's palace now. And, um, and Paul is held there for, for five days. And um, the idea is that, that, that the Sanhedrin or, or people from the Sanhedrin could come up to Caesarea and present their charges against Paul in front of Felix. All right. So in chapter 24, Ananias, the high priest, arrives up in Caesarea and uh, with various elders and... Um, they, they brought a lawyer called Tertullus and this Tertullus, it was his job to present the charges against Paul to Felix. Obviously they were wanting Felix to hand Paul over to them and once Felix had done that obviously they would have had Paul killed. Presumably the 40 assassins are getting a little bit peckish at the moment. And, um, and, and this Tertullus kind of, he, he kind of, in presenting his case, he. He, he strikes a very kind of boot-licking attitude to Felix, um, which, which was a bit odd because the Jews hated Felix because he was obviously the Roman governor over them. Um, you know, but there was a bit of boot-licking went on there. 
and um, you know, and, and he accuses Paul of stirring up riots and trying to desecrate the temple. Neither of which was true. Paul hadn't desecrated the temple, and the riots were started up by other people, falsely accusing Paul of having desecrated the temple. And uh, you know, so he presents these charges. And then Paul speaks in his own defence, denies the charges, and and says what had you know what had actually happened. And what Felix decides to do was defer judgment. So rather than say, Paul, I think you're guilty, so I'm going to hand you over the Sanhedrin, or I think you're innocent, so I'm going to set you free. What Felix decides to do was just defer judgment, and he holds Paul under house arrest for two years. So Paul is just under house arrest in, in, in the palace with Felix. And, um, and, and Luke tells us that what Felix was actually waiting for, he kept Paul there all that time hoping that Paul would bribe him or something. <laughs> uh, which of course Paul never did, so Paul didn't get released, but that was what Felix was wanting, a nice backhander and then let him go silently into the night. Um, but Luke tells us that the two of them spoke frequently together. So certainly over that two years, I mean, the Roman governor and all his entourage in the palace would have got the gospel good and proper from, from Paul. Then two years passed by and Felix is succeeded. He moves on and he's succeeded by Porcius Festus. So now we've got a new governor, Porcius Festus, and, and Paul still remaining under house arrest in, a, in the palace. Then we move on to chapter 25, and um, three days after taking over from Felix, Festus um, visits Jerusalem where the Sanhedrin fill him in about Paul. Two years later, they're still waiting. Imagine those assassins have lost weight by now, haven't they? Two years, blimey. So they fill him in about Paul, and they say, look, we want a trial in Jerusalem. We want to try this Paul. And of course, they're still waiting to kill him. That's why they want Paul to be brought to Jerusalem. But, um, but Festus refuses, but he agrees for them to press charges against Paul up in Caesarea, which was what Festus had done. Uh, sorry, which is what Felix had done two years earlier. And so, you know, like ten, ten, eight to ten days later, Luke says, they went up to Caesarea and, and did the, the, the whole thing all over again. So you had the pre-trial procedure, you know, like the Sanhedrin presented their case, and Paul defended himself, blah, blah, blah. Now, Festus's inclination was to send Paul to Jerusalem for the actual trial. So Festus thought, hmm, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give him to the Jews, they can do what they like with him. And uh, because Festus saw a chance to curry favour with the Jews, he was the new governor, if he'd have done that, they'd have kind of, well, you scratch my back and we'll scratch yours like. So once Paul realised that Festus was going to hand him over to the Jews in Jerusalem, and he knows that he'd have been dead because the moment he'd have left the palace, he wouldn't have been under Roman guard anymore and, and the assassins would have got him. So what he does is Paul appealed to Caesar. Again, this was the right of every citizen of Rome, and um, you know, sort of, and, and Paul saying, "No, I want to be tried in the court of Caesar." At that point, Festus had no choice. He couldn't hand him over to the Jews. He then had to send him to Rome under guard so that the trial could be conducted um, in the courts in Rome. Um, so that's what then happens. But um, a few days later. Festus gets a visit from one K. 
King Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa travelled around with his sister called Bernice. So King Agrippa and his sister Bernice visit Festus. Now, King Agrippa was like the, you know, the Roman procurator over certain areas of Galilee and Perea. So Festus is the south, all right, and um, King Agrippa was doing the north. That was where Herod used to be. And um, he was actually the last of the Herod dynasty. And he was the son of the Herod who tried Jesus and had John the Baptist beheaded. And um, in actual fact, Felix, who was the governor before Festa, um, was married to Agrippa's daughter, Drusilla. So they kept it very much in the family, all these Roman procurators. And, um, and so he was visiting while um, Paul was, was, was still there. And uh, so Festus told him all about it, and Agrippa said, well, they'd they bring him up. Let me hear all this, blah, blah, blah. So then we go into chapter 26, and Paul is now brought to King Agrippa. And uh, he goes over his background, he gives his testimony, blah, blah, blah. And while he's doing this, Festus just loses it. And Festus gets so angry with Paul that he starts yelling and screaming at him. And he starts screaming at Paul that he was mad. And, uh, you know, so I mean, Agrippa was, was listening quite intently to what Paul was saying. But Festus just, just went bananas and, uh, you know, sort of just wanted Paul thrown out. And, um, and after Paul was, you know, sort of taken away, uh, Festus and Agrippa, they, they both concluded um, that Paul was completely innocent of any wrongdoing. I mean, they, they were perfectly aware that Paul had been set up by the Jews. And at that point, as years earlier, Pilate could have let Jesus go, but didn't for political expediency. These guys could have let Paul go, but didn't for, you know, for expediency. And so therefore, Paul's claim that, well, if I'm going to be tried, it's got to be in Rome, had to come to pass. So now Paul is destined to be taken to Rome and um, to be tried before Caesar. So now we move into chapter 27. And um, Paul is handed over, along with other prisoners who were being taken to Rome, to a, a centurion called Julius. And Julius is the centurion whose job it is to get Paul and these other prisoners to Rome safely. And again, in the narrative, Luke is saying we. So Luke is now travelling with Paul to Rome. Um, date... We're now in AD 60, the beginning of Paul's journey to Rome, so we're 30 years or so into the book. Anyway, on, on, on their journey to Rome, they, they, they sailed via Sidon to the north of Cyprus, and then they headed west and um, over to the south coast of the island of Crete. So they're heading west um, across the Mediterranean. And... Um, they, they passed near to Crete and um, they were heading to, to Phoenix, which was the port where they were going to winter in. But they never made it because this storm came and they were heading for this harbour because protection from the winter storms and they were going to stay there for the winter. But they never made it because the storms got so bad. And uh, Paul had actually prophesied on the boat to everyone um, that that they that 
they should have gone a different way but they didn't listen to him and because they didn't listen to him they've got caught in the storm that Paul warned them against and uh, for, for 14 days the, the boat is just totally adrift in this storm um, they're two and a half months into their voyage and for two whole weeks the, the, the boat is just being battered by, by this storm but Paul prophesies again and he tells them that no lives are going to be lost he tells them the ship is going to be lost but no lives and there were 276 people on board and what eventually happened two weeks after being battered by this storm is that the ship breaks up just off of the coast of Malta and um, and as that happens all of them were able to safely swim ashore that was a miracle obviously and um, but but the whole crew you know plus Paul and all the prisoners and Julius all right the centurion they're all spared and they get onto to Malta um, safely yeah, Malta just west west of quite a way west of Crete and a uh, hundred miles from Sicily so close all right not not too far to go now to get to Italy and uh, so here they are on the, the island of Malta and um, all the islanders are really kind to them you know kind of a shipwreck and they welcome them all and you know they, they built a fire for them because it was raining and they were cold um, and you know they make a big thing and all the islanders welcome these you know like shipwrecked sailors etc etc and while they're sitting by the fire Paul is bitten by a poisonous snake now they, everyone was expecting for him to die it was a venomous snake but he didn't Paul shook the snake off his hand into the fire and he suffered no ill effects at all and, 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 and the Maltese, Maltesers, <laughs> people who's on Malta, the Maltesers, whatever you call them, so they're quite, because <laughs> they're a really sweet bunch over there. Um, they, they all said, you know, that he was a god, and, and they, they were just a, a, amazed, you know, by what had happened. Obviously, Paul would have been very quick saying, oh, I'm, I'm not a god, but I, I do know one, as it were. And um, the, the, the chief Roman official on the island, so sort of like the governor, the Roman governor, because Malta was, you know, Roman Empire, blah, blah, blah. The, the Roman um, official on, on Malta was called Publius, and, um, and he, he entertained Paul and all Paul's entourage and friends and blah, blah, blah for three days. So Paul had quite a group of Christians on the boat with him. Luke would have been amongst them, for instance. And anyway, they all stayed with Publius for, for three days. And it's obvious that, 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 that this centurion is giving Paul a lot of freedom. He knows that Paul isn't going to run off or anything. And, um, but while they're staying with Publius, Publius's father-in-law got fever and dysentery. Again, fairly serious. And Paul prayed for him and he was healed. And then the rest of the sick on the island got healed and so a real kind of like you know zappo there and and paul was there for three months and obviously preaching the gospel anyway then we have the the last leg of the journey to rome and because they were fairly near just like off of sicily and uh, so so the last leg of the journey to rome when they get kind of on on the mainland um the brothers from the roman church meet them um a few miles outside of rome and they're escorted in by people from the Roman church. And um, once, once Paul got there, um, 
he was there for a couple of years and, and he was allowed to live by himself. I mean, under guard, there'd have been a soldier with him all the time. But for two years, he, he, he rented a house and, and he lived in this house by himself with the Roman guard. And, um, and over the, the two years that he was there, he, he preached the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. And, and Luke tells us that he was unhindered. There wasn't any persecution against him possibly because he was under Roman guard. I mean, if anyone had had a go at him, they'd have, you know, had the Roman army to answer to. So he had two years unhindered evangelism from using his house as a base. Um, and Luke tells us that even the Jews in Rome received his message quite well. They didn't believe, they didn't get converted, but nevertheless they, they received his message um, quite well. And, um, and Luke tells us that, 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 that Paul taught them from, from Isaiah, you know, using the prophecies of Isaiah, to demonstrate to them how the gospel would be received better by the Gentiles than by the Jews um, for whom it was formerly meant. Now, that's where the book of Acts ends. Bang! Just like that. Just door slammed shut. End of the book of Acts. AD 63, alright, that's, that's the kind of the, the time frame that we're in. Now we just need to do a little postscript, alright, because whereas we can't know 100% for sure what happened to Paul after this, we can get quite a few clues. And from all the information we can glean from his epistles, um, some of which were written after this point, and also from extra-biblical historical sources, which seem to be fairly accurate. We can put it all together, and it seems fairly certain that Paul was released from this imprisonment. So whether or not the, the, the case never reached court, or was thrown out, or he was found innocent, or whatever, it's clear that he was released from this Roman imprisonment. And he then went on to do a fourth missionary journey around the Mediterranean area. Now we know that he never went back to the Ephesian church because that was prophesied that he never would. But it's clear that after this he was released and he did a fourth missionary journey going around lots of the churches that he'd already planted, so all around the Mediterranean area but also that he ended up under house arrest in Rome again some years later and from that imprisonment he was tried and he was martyred, he was put to death and that would have been around AD 68. So from the, ends of the, Acts, the end of the Acts of the Apostle, which ends rather abruptly with Paul under house arrest in Rome, it does appear he had another five or so years of life, was released, did another missionary journey, got arrested again, only that time was never released and was martyred around five years later. Right, okay, well here endeth the Acts of the Apostles. Next time we attempt the impossible. How do you do Romans chapter by chapter in a couple of talks? Well, we'll, we'll try. <laughs> we'll try.